Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hi, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne. This is Jess. Welcome. We're here to start a new series today. And we're going to be talking about trauma. So we know that trauma can be kind of actually a heavy topic, but we also know that it's something really important, whether you're a parent or a married person or a a single person looking for a relationship, or if you work a job or <laughs> you go to the gym, wherever you are, if you're in a church ministry or any kind of leadership, knowing about trauma and knowing how trauma has affected your own life and the lives of the people around you is super important. So as we promised, we're going to try to keep our episodes short and commute friendly. (laughs) So we're going to spend about 30 minutes today, just giving you a really basic rundown about what is trauma and, and why do we care about it? Yeah. Just Let's talk about, um, how do people in, in just in the pop culture use the word trauma? Yeah, I think that it has just become such a common term kind of watered down in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways. Right. And can get, um, just, there's a big misconceptualization around what is and isn't trauma. I think both in the ways of it being a watered down concept of like, um, you know, that was traumatizing, but really it was just something, um, uncomfortable (laughs) or something, um, just even slightly uncomfortable, but also can be something that, um, we minimize as well. So there's kind of a dichotomy happening there where, um, I think that there's this misconception that when we're talking about actual trauma, not in this, like in the same way that I love Taco Bell, I don't love my husband, that kind Mm of watered down way of talking about it. Um, we can also minimize it and not, not really having an understanding of what is classified as trauma and, um, what can be considered as traumatic. A lot of times I find both for myself and, um, the people that I work with, they would say, well, that, that wasn't trauma because, Mm -hmm. um, somebody else has had dealt with something worse or harder. always had something worse. So mine doesn't count as much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think so. You can see both sides of that in pop culture. Like, um, you can see it from more of a watered down perspective. Um, and where everything feels like, well, that triggered me, that was triggering. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is related. That's a word related to trauma talk, um, versus even the polar opposite side of that in pop culture of just minimizing, Mm -hmm. um, painful experiences. 
Yeah. So like right before we got on the, we hit record on the call, Jess yeah. told me that she'd just been in like three meetings today that all lasted longer than they needed to. Yes. And she's like, oh my gosh, that was traumatizing. But she was saying it that kind of tongue in cheek because she wanted yeah. to poke fun at what our topic is today. Yes. That like what you said, it's anything that's uncomfortable or um, kind of just out of the ordinary, we want to call that traumatizing. Yeah. So something dreadful, right? Like yeah. sitting in yeah. meetings, like I've been in this chair literally for four hours and it's, mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable. It's not, it's just, it's not super distressing. It's just not necessarily what I wanted to be doing all right. day long. Right. 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 And so everybody be really thankful for just to sit in her chair for one more <laughs> half hour for us. Listen, if, if you are um, watching the YouTube version of this and I'm wiggling, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Okay. So if we, if we can agree on like, what is a not great use of the word trauma, then what is a good use of the word trauma? And so I want to offer this really simple definition. Um, basically anything that happened in your life that pushed your mind and body beyond their ability to cope can be considered trauma. And I think we get really caught up in thinking that trauma is only something like, um, you got held at gunpoint or you were in a war or you were raped or you had childhood abuse. And those are, are the traumas that we, we think of as like legitimate traumas, but, but we don't often realize is there can be smaller traumas that just uh, pushed us beyond our ability just to kind of like handle things. Like um, you may not have lost anybody in your family due to COVID and you may not have contracted COVID yourself, but you have been part of a global trauma, which means you had to adjust your way of living and everything changed in 2020. So Jess, do you want to go over big T and little t for us? Yeah, um, I love the the concept of big T, little t trauma because it does um, speak to that minimization side of talking about trauma, right? Of saying, well, there's always someone who's had it worse than I have. And so what we're talking about when we're talking about big T trauma is it's that first one that you mentioned of this life-threatening, what I think if most people would agree on trauma traumatic events, right? So things like, um, you know, you were involved or saw um, a mass shooting, or you were in a catastrophic car accident, or, um, you know, you, your life was threatened in some type of physical way. Mm-hmm. I think um, that is, for most people, an easy way to conceptualize trauma. When we're talking about those types of traumas, we're really talking about big T type like trauma, as in where capital letter T trauma, capital <laughs> letter T. <laughs> um, cause I think that's a good point here because the big and little doesn't mean the little T trauma is less traumatic per se. That's not necessarily the case. It's actually not so much about w- what's m- more traumatic, right? It's just a way to classify. So big T capital T trauma would be more the life-threatening. Um, and it and also can, be- can Sorry, Go ahead. that can yeah. also be not that your life was threatened, but that you witnessed someone else's life be threatened can also yes. be in that category. So even if it like, especially if it's somebody that you love and care about, you see their life threatened, but also it could be just you witness um, a train crash or, a, you know, a, a car accident, something like that, yes. um, yeah. or a natural disaster that yes. you were part and- of. 
And even like what you talked about this, um, you know, idea of, um, you know, the pandemic, which that leads into little T, lowercase t trauma, right? Um, But just this idea of witnessing and seeing someone else's life being threatened, someone being harmed. um, And that in and of itself is trauma towards for yourself as well. So it doesn't even have to be towards you. So the little t trauma falls more in this category of not necessarily life-threatening events, but it's still things that are pushing you past um, what you can cope with and handle in the moment that they feel threatening in other ways, right? So little t trauma can be emotional threats, right? Mm-hmm. It can be a threat to your sense of overall safety. You highlighted that really well when you talked about the pandemic. And I think a lot of times, um, especially because with the pandemic, we've been living in this kind of COVID state. Some people say post-COVID, however you want to look at it, state for such a long time. I think we sometimes forget like we're in a traumatic event as a collective whole, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're all surprised that we don't feel okay. We can't figure out why we don't feel okay. Well, it's because we are experiencing little t trauma currently as a collective whole. So stuff like that can count, which I think is a great way to just point out like every single person listening to this in some Mm -hmm. way has had some type of trauma in their life simply because if nothing else, because of COVID, right. And what we've been experiencing with that. Um, This can also be other things. Um, You know, it can be when we talk about long-term over a span of years dealing with um, different levels of emotional abuse can can be classified as little t trauma. Um, You know, having unexpected losses can be considered a trauma. Those don't even have to be death. So let's clarify that quickly, because sometimes when we think of grief, we think, oh, it must be somebody gone and not necessarily it could be an unexpected loss of a job it could be um an unexpected friend moving away something like that that can also feel very traumatic yeah and i even think uh, like your ability to withstand or cope with something changing like that it it grows with you as you mature as a person um and i think i can remember times you know you and i growing up before the age of children having cell phones you know <laughs> like there yeah. were, there were times where i really feared being left at school or being left mm-hmm. at practice and not having a way to get in contact with my mom um, and of course my mom never forgot me, but sometimes she was late. <laughs> and so there were moments of, of, uh, panic that I can remember now feeling, um, like these, these were little T traumas because, um, they just kind of stacked up in a way that mm-hmm. made, it gives you that sense of not being secure in your environment. And, all out of all of the wonderful things that my mom did for me as a mom, there were still moments like that or, or getting made fun of in school and Mm. bullying, things like that. They stack up. And what's interesting about the research around trauma is that you could have one big T trauma that causes a really big impact on your life, or you can have a stack of what we call these micro traumas, these little Mm. T's that just continue to stack up over time. And the impact on your body and your mind and your functioning is the same. So when we think about all of these little T traumas that stack up against us, we can see why everybody 
has some form of trauma, even if you haven't been through a big T trauma. And so those are things we have to address to kind of see like where, where might that be impacting my functioning in the world or how I see people and see relationships in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this, this concept of understanding, especially when we're talking about compound little T trauma, um, that they really do have an impact that if we don't take the time to at the least acknowledge it, right. We need to at least acknowledge how it impacts us and can, um, influence, you know, just even our ability to cope with future things, right? When we've really struggled in situations in the past that pushed us past our ability to cope, it then can create less capacity, if not addressed, yes. to cope with with situations in the future. And so then um, oftentimes what I see is um, clients will come in and they'll be like, you know, I haven't experienced this big trauma, somebody, you know, I, I, I hear it so much. That's why I'm saying it. Somebody had it worse. This other person over here lost this person, or they've dealt with this and I've never dealt with anything. But then when we start really looking at it Mm -hmm. and adding it up and saying, well, look at these things, this is what, what you've experienced. And that's making it difficult for you to cope with the things that are happening now, Mm -hmm. because all of this stuff is still left unresolved. And so you're still feeling unsafe, really. It just carried over. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the ACEs um, Mm -hmm. assessment. So ACEs is uh, adverse childhood experiences. And these are things like, um, you didn't have all your needs met. You suffered uh, physical, sexual, verbal abuse. You had people in your home that were using, um, substances. You had to move a lot. Like, um, there's lots of them, so I'm not going to list all of them right here, but you can look this up and see what the list is. And, um, so what the studies have found is that 62% of adults have at least one ACE and 25% of adults have three or more. And so compared to people with no ACEs at all, an individual with an ACE score of four or more are two times as likely to smoke, two and a half times more likely to have sexually transmitted infections, four times more likely to have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, seven times more likely to consider themselves an alcoholic, 10 times as likely to have injected street drugs and 12 times as likely to attempted suicide. So you can see how it just having some traumatic things that happened to you during your childhood can really lead to a much more difficult and rough adulthood. And you can see with uh, whether it's smoking, street drugs, alcohol, suicide, um, people are trying to deal with the trauma that they've experienced in ways that are actually destructive and not helpful. So um, again, if you, I will include a link to and the ACEs information on the show notes in case you would like to take the ACEs assessment to see Mm -hmm. if that's something that, that you might have in your um, history. And you probably already know if some of those things are true for you. Um, But I think the good news is that there are some ways after something like that has happened. And as we said, everybody has some kind of trauma. And so it's not like you're going to get through this life unscathed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do have some ways, uh, of 
of helping with that. And that's what our next couple of episodes are going to be about. But before we move on to that, I want to share a little bit with you about um, just uh, how trauma works in the brain. And a lot of the, the way that I came to understand it was when I went through the EMDR training and that really just changed the lens on how I see things. Um, so I like to use this metaphor that it's kind of like, like a library. And I think this came to my mind because I used to work in the library in college <laughs> and I was the person sitting at the desk that had to check things coming in and going out. But, um, your, your body has the five senses, right? The sight, yes. touch, smell, taste, uh, hearing. And so we have stimuli all the time coming in through our five senses and our brain takes that information. And I like to think of it as like a, kind of like a, a reception desk. And so there's an inbox on this reception desk and things are coming through, they're getting processed, they're getting filed into their correct file locations. I, I like to use the metaphor of the stacks in college, but if you weren't a nerd like me in college, <laughs> um, maybe you're not as familiar with the stacks. Um, you can just think of like a big filing cabinet. And so things get filed away. Also was really helpful. The movie Inside Out has some creative ways of um, showing this. They have the marbles that each have a different um, memory. And uh, if you can remember in that movie, some of the memories were coded with different emotions and some of them go into this big storage vault where they decide whether they're going to dump them because they're not useful anymore, or they have to keep them because they had some kind of emotional significance. So as you see these things coming across the inbox of your, your mind's desk, <laughs> um, things that have emotional significance are going to be stored differently than things that don't have emotional significance. So I like to give this example. If I drive to work today and I see a car that has a bumper sticker that has yeah. Disneyland on it. And my family is like totally into Disneyland. I might remember that I drove next to another Disney fan. But if I drove behind a car that had like motocross stickers on it, I'm not into motocross. So I might just forget that I even like what color the car was something like that. Mm -hmm. So the more emotional connection you have to something, the longer your brain wants to hold on to it. And that can go for positive, like Disneyland emotions or negative, mm -hmm. like trauma kinds of emotions. So, yes. um, what happens sometimes when you have a traumatic experience, like we gave this definition that it's anytime you're, it goes beyond your body's ability or your mind's ability to cope with it, the emotions are too great at that moment. And so it ends up getting stuck in that inbox. It never yes. gets filed away into the places where it's supposed to be, where you can access it, but it's not bugging you all the time. And that's why yes. when you have somebody that has, let's say post-traumatic stress because of uh, being in combat, for example, you see the guys that will duck and cover when they hear a car backfire because they um, that sound uh, triggers that memory that's still stuck on their, in their inbox basically. Yeah. And that is going to continue to, um, have that response like duck and cover. 
Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do to try to help people is move things from the inbox into the appropriate file folders and dump the things that are no longer useful. <laughs> yes. If you've listened to the Soul Grit podcast for even one episode, you know my guests and I believe that when we integrate the power of God with the wisdom of modern psychology, we get supercharged healing, change, and growth in counseling. As a Christian therapist, however, I realize that there are many practitioners out there who are personally Christians but don't know how to integrate their faith into their counseling practices. That's why I created the e-course, Faith Integration for Therapists. In this premium five-module course, therapists who love Jesus will learn everything from understanding their calling to marketing their practices to Christians to adapting evidence-based interventions to honor our faith. You can learn more about the online course at www.soulgritresources.com courses and send an email to info at soulgritresources.com to receive a discount code. No, I think that that's really helpful, especially I'm such a visual person and I love metaphors. So especially like in thinking about that from the perspective of inside out and that the concept of like, in Inside Out, those memories that were stored away had, if you remember, each of those emotions that took mm-hmm. up the space in her, you know, yeah, brain or whatever. Like color-coded <laughs> color- based on motion. Right. And that's mm-hmm. part of what happened at the end is sadness had touched one that Joy wanted to keep or whatever, and it had influenced it. So I think the idea of how um, trauma kind of gets stuck without being categorized in the direction that the brain and the body wants to categorize it, it, it's stuck in that space. And so not knowing um, what to do with it, the brain doesn't know how to process that. So it's, I, I do get that image of like just a big old stack of papers. And so then it's, you're not even sure which paper is being pulled out, just, you know, something's being pulled and tugged on. So I think that's a great metaphor. Yeah. And I was just listening to the Allender Center podcast, which if you're interested in trauma, that would be another good one to put on your list, but make sure you listen to Soul Grit first. (laughs) 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 But the Allender Center, um, Dan Allender is an expert, a Christian therapist and expert in trauma. And um, he was talking about how uh, your, the part of your brain that experiences or or that gets, um, put online when you experience trauma doesn't have a sense of time and space and context. So if you are traumatized and that part is no longer connected like to, to time and space, you can experience another thing that's really not related. And it actually is not threatening anymore. And your brain cannot distinguish the fact that right now it's safe, but it used to not be safe. And it just feels like it's not safe all the time. So that's why, um, like, like for example, a child that got bit by a dog as a a young child, well, now the child is big and the dogs are safe and they're on a leash and they're behind a fence and and things like that. But the child's Mm -hmm. brain that was traumatized in that, um, dog bite, can't distinguish between then I was little and the dog was off leash. Now I am big and in control and, and the dog is on a leash. The brain can't do that. So the feeling of fear and panic still uh, prevails in that moment. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with this, um, I could nerd out on neuroscience a little bit. I don't know that I understand it well enough to fully nerd out, but I, I think <laughs> that, you know, when we talk about the brain and how we were actually created, like this is part of our creation and the way that God designed us to be right. So this isn't necessarily that something is wrong with us, that this is the way that we're responding to trauma, because the purpose of that system in our brain, like when we're looking at where that's happening in the brain, the purpose of that is to help us survive, right? It's to help us to prevent, um, ourselves from being in dangerous situations again. And it happens I mean, so quick, it's rapid fire in our brain. So it's not this, like, there's not even ability to think it through because it doesn't go through the thinking part of the brain. Mm-hmm. It it goes through the system that's our, I call it the watchdog system mm-hmm. of our brain. That's kind of looking there. And I sometimes will use the metaphor of if you have a dog at home and they are barking at the mailman, right? The mailman is not a danger (laughs) to the house. Mm -hmm. You as the human person, which would represent the thinking part of the brain knows this, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, so you're telling the dog be quiet, but the thinking part doesn't have a say, but Mm -hmm. the dog would bark at an intruder. The dog just doesn't know which one's which they look the same to the dog, right? All I know is that's a person and that person is not my person. Right. And so they, the watchdog will bark and then all the alarm systems are going off. And so therefore then your brain is responding in a way that says there's a danger and I need to survive. And then survival instincts kick in, which is why we go back to a combat veteran who's ducking, right? Mm-hmm. That instinct of, I just need to, to survive, right? Um, that's what's kicking in there. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot more we could get into the, the nerdy so science much. part, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's really interesting. Um, if you're more interested in finding out about what happens in your body with trauma, mm. we can recommend the body keeps the score by, um, Bessel van der Kolb. Um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the, the, um, epitome of, of what we're talking about here, like the, the one textbook. Um, it's not really a textbook. It's kind of that place in between like a self-help book and a textbook where it's going to take some brain power, but you're not going to feel like you're in grad school. (laughs) I will say too, an easier read that I found, um, definitely does not negate the body keeps score, but an introduction to this, that she covers the aces really well in that in the book, um, The Deepest Well by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris. Mm. I think I said that. Yeah, right. I haven't actually read that one. So put that on the list. I have it back here. It's it's actually really, really good because she explains, um, she doesn't go in depth to the neuroscience of it, but she explains really well ACEs and trauma mm. and that idea of, you know, how trauma basically is us our brain having the inability to differentiate when we're actually in danger mm-hmm. and when we're not based off of a situation before yes, that was dangerous and how trauma, unresolved trauma, I'll say it like that, that we haven't dealt with and worked with, um, how it influences not just our coping mechanisms and our mental and emotional health, but even our physical health. And so I think she does a really good job of um, highlighting that. So that can, it's a very easy read. 
and she has an excellent audio book to it. Okay, too. good. So we'll put some of these links in the show notes too, if you want to yeah. have um, more further reading. I also want to mention Try Softer by Andy Kolber, um, yeah. because Andy is a Christian therapist and really um, p- presents like a, a gospel forward view of how trauma happens and how we need to deal with it and how grace functions in that. So maybe someday we'll get Andy to come on the podcast. That would be amazing. I would geek out. Totally fangirls. Um, And also she has created a workbook that I think it came out last year. So originally there was just a book and I wrote to her and I said, can you make this into a workbook? Cause I want to do it with my clients. And she said, we're working on it. And so she finally got that out and um, I have gone through it with a client. So if that's something that you would like to work on, as I said, with like more of a grace lens of um, how much God loves you as you work through your trauma, that would be a really good um, option for you as well. So one of the things I wanted to mention here as well is that there's this movement towards what we call trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. And that I think that definition is, or that, that term is more for like medical care or mental health care, things like that, that we need to be trauma informed. But what I want to suggest is that you have to use it in ministry and parenting mm-hmm. and marriage and friendship. And, um, it's really important to know about trauma and to be sensitive to others, people, other people's trauma. And I'm not saying like go you know, off the rails and saying everything has to have a trigger warning or, you know, you're going to trigger somebody unnecessarily, but to be aware that, um, certain behaviors or, um, stances towards life are probably formed out of that trauma. And so Mm -hmm. the question that trauma informed care asks is not what's wrong with you, but instead what happened to you? And so I remember joking around as a kid, like when somebody would do something stupid and, and you'd say, oh, he got dropped on his head as a child, you know, and we would say it as a joke that Mm -hmm. something happened to you and that's why you act that way. But I think there's a more like sensitive and serious way of saying like the the guardedness that you have in relationships, for example, (laughs) that comes because of how you were raised or things that happened to you in friendship as a child. And I'm going to be sensitive to, to that as I pursue this friendship with you, or, you know, um, we can think of lots of examples, but I want to say we need to assume that people want to be healthy and successful. Like most people want that. If they're not, there's something that's prevented them from developing in that way and not they're not an idiot. They're not, um, mean spirited. They're not, um, lazy. It's that something has happened that's prevented them. Yeah. I love this, this grace filled view of people and that concept of believing the best. And it can be so hard because of our own pain and our own trauma, right. Of going in and having this really open-handed positive view of people. Um, and I want to go back to a question that you said, like, you're right. When we were growing up, we would say like, who dropped you on your head or you must've been dropped (laughs) on your head or something like that. And what I see a lot now, I think with the generation kind of coming behind us is the question of who hurt you. Mm. And it's said kind of tongue in cheek in terms of like, they're not really asking, nor do they probably care. It's just a way to say, 
that behavior is off. But I almost <laughs> wonder if we would pause yeah. and actually truly ask that in our hearts and, and reframe that to say, if I have that knee-jerk reaction to say, who hurt you? Mm-hmm. Actually, actually. Somebody really it, did. It probably <laughs> Somebody maybe really did. And can we take that and turn that into a sense of compassion Mm -hmm. for other people and maybe even compassion for ourselves, right? When we find ourselves acting in ways that we know don't quite align with how we want to act or um, like, I don't know, I can get snippy with my kids. What's happening? Who hurt me? Why am I getting snippy with Mm -hmm. my kids? Having that compassion to myself, say, no, like I, at some level have been hurt and need to be softer. That's what I love about the book, Try Softer, is I need to be softer with myself and kinder. And we need to be softer with other people. Um, I'm not minimizing how difficult that can be. Right. But the reframe of saying, actually, somebody probably really did hurt them, something. Or even them. to say that that takes responsibility off the person for resolving that. Like, they, yeah, yes, yeah, something did happen to you. And sorry, but you still have the responsibility to take care yes. of that. And that's not fair. Yeah. But you, you are the only one that can mm-hmm. work through the trauma that you experienced in your life. And yeah. the only one that can break those cycles and patterns and prevent the transmission of that to other people that you care about. Yes. And I think, you know, and this might be a conversation for another day too. I don't know, but I think, you know, within that concept of understanding is not excusing, those are not the same things. And I think sometimes we can get that muddled, right? And this idea of I can understand that somebody has been hurt and I can have compassion for them mm-hmm. while still setting healthy boundaries and holding them responsible for how they're managing their triggers and how they're treating me, right? Mm-hmm. I can't make them manage their triggers, but I can set boundaries for how I'm going to be treated, even though I can't understand they're coming from a hurt place. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to also ask the question, we won't have time to go through it today, but just how can you know if some of the problems you're facing are due to unresolved trauma? And so we're going to put a pin in that and we will try to hit that as we go through the next few episodes, which we are going to be covering EMDR and brain spotting. These are two, um, evidence-based treatment modalities that are actually really effective in treating trauma and helping you move on to a healthier life. And so we're, we're going to cover those in, um, next few episodes, but I just want to leave with this thought here that there's hope that God's grace is actually bigger than anything that your mind or body could bear or imagine or come up with. And so just like we gave that definition in the beginning, that trauma is something that pushed your body and your mind beyond something that it had the ability to cope with. Like God's grace is bigger than that. Like if you just got a glimpse of God's glory today, you wouldn't be able to cope with that either. (laughs) So so we're going to invite that grace in to take care of some of those really painful areas that exist within us and, and just know that there's hope there. So 
Thank you for being a part of our day today and listening to the Soul Grit podcast. And as always, we appreciate if you share. And um, I'm sure with this topic that we have um, going on right now in this series, you're going to have people that you want to share that with and people that you want to understand better, or you would like to have them understand you better. So please go ahead and share and um, see us on Instagram. We'd love getting messages and hear how you're liking the series and what other questions you have that we could answer. Yeah. Sounds great. Thanks for being next. See you next week. Bye-bye. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.